Hallelujah. All right, so we're continuing on with our discipleship training. As always, we're going to enter into the world of Scripture before getting started. And we're going to do this via the via poem. It says, Welcome to my world, a place where the natural eyes can't see, where your physical bodies can't be, where the last is first, the first is last, the end is told from the beginning, and when it appears as though one is losing, they're actually winning. Where trumpets are depicted as voices and the persecuted righteous don't complain but actually rejoices. Here swords are likened to the word, the demons are birds, the dead are yet alive, the living are actually dead, blood and flesh are even depicted as wine and bread. It's a place wherein the humble are depicted as poor and the poorer one becomes, they're later found to be that much richer. I'm speaking of no other place but the Yasmin world of scripture. So please turn off your phones, perk up your ears and get ready to listen. Rock Hakodesh is about to begin teaching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, so we are continuing to explore the story of Israel. And this is like an incredibly important story to know and understand, you know, because it, it, it epitomizes, you know, our walk. It epitomizes our faith. It epitomizes Yah's plan for us, you know. And so if we don't understand this, we don't understand the story of Israel. We would not understand the story of Yahushua. You know, and you can't have one without the other. Because no Israel, no, no Yahushua, because he came through Israel. You know, so, you know, it's quite pertinent that we understand the story of Israel. And so, as before, let's take it from the top. Alright, so start out just by acknowledging Israel and that Israel is the son of Elohim and that is our overall goal is to become sons and daughters of Elohim. Amen? Amen. You know, because it's the sons and daughters of Elohim, you know, that receive all of his promises. You know, you can be a native um, son or daughter of Elohim or you can become a son or daughter of Elohim. You can be a native-born Israelite or you can become an Israelite. You know, however you get to become an Israelite, become an Israelite. Mm -hmm. Because without becoming an Israelite, you can't become a Yahushuaite. <laughs> yeah, I'll be making up words. But, you know, <laughs> but you get the drift. You know, I'm, I'm you know, say lie. You think about it, it'll come to you. All right, you know, so... For those of you, all, of you all who have made it, say welcome to Israel. Welcome to Israel. Now, don't get too excited because you made it. Because you can also lose your citizenship. Mm -hmm. Yep. You can go through everything you need to go through to become an Israelite. And then you can still lose your citizenship. Mm -hmm. You know, that's because there's rules to this. You know, you know, and well, Let's see, how do they say today? It's a privilege, not a right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a privilege to be an Israelite. You know, not a right. Mm -hmm. And so many people think it's a right just because they're native born or they believe they were native born. They feel like, well, it's my right. You know, and, you know, yeah, in a matter of speaking, but it's still a privilege. Mm -hmm. Because if you abuse that right, you will lose that right. Say a lot, you know. So you can lose your citizenship, you know. But let's say you didn't. So here it is: you're an Israelite. 
Alright, you know, so what do you do? You're a new Israelite, you know, what 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 am I to do in being a new Israelite? Well the first thing, you know, uh we read about new Israel is he has to go to Egypt. Gotta go learn something. You know, Egypt, you know, represents the the word, the letter of the word. It also represents, you know, just knowledge and wisdom as a whole, you know, knowledge and wisdom and understanding as a whole, but from a worldly, you know, viewpoint. And so, you know, you have to go, you're a new Israelite, you got to go to Egypt, you got to go learn something. You know, you got to learn the letter of the words, you got to learn, you know, some knowledge with an understanding concerning the word and concerning, you know, its place in the world, so on and so forth. And so this is like Israel going to, to Egypt, the Israel. But at some point, you know, you're going to have to have your baptismal experience. You know, that is, you're going to have to come out of Mitzrayim. You're going to have to come out of Egypt. That is, you're going to have to come out of just learning about the word. And you're going to have to go through it and begin to apply it to your life. And when you do, that will be the beginning of your wilderness experience. And so, once in this wilderness, whoo, the wilderness is a rough place. You know, uh, by any, any account, you know, you can look at through scripture, you know, you can go and visit the wilderness, i.e. the desert, you know, you will soon see that the wilderness is a rough place. You know, in fact, it's so rough that it's impossible to live in the wilderness. But yeah. But yeah. The only way it's possible is with yeah. You know. And we all have to go through this wilderness experience. We can't skip over it. We can't go around it. We can't go under it. We can't go over it. We have to go through our wilderness experience. Because our wilderness experience is there to prove us. But at the same time while it's proving us. Yah has also proven himself to us. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Obadiah? Well, it's in during your wilderness experience that you first see Yah doing miracles just for you, to save you. Because you're hungry. Because you're thirsty. You know, because, because of your desires. You know, he would do things, you know, to let you know that he has your back. <clears throat> you know, so while he's proving you, he's also proving himself to you. Now, there's a principle that's at play, though. It says the spiritual, however, was not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 46, and how true it is. You know, um, this is how Yah operates. You know, he gives the natural first and then the spiritual. Natural speaks to the physical, you know, <clears throat> and so as you go through your wilderness experience, you'll receive physical manna from heaven. You know, physical manna from heaven may have looked something like this, maybe, maybe not, who knows, um, but I figured it was a good, good shot at it. You know, point being, you know, you receive this physical food, you know, um, and... 
you can sustain yourself off of it. So Yah will make certain that you have what you need physically mm-hmm. in order to survive. You know, he will provide this spirit, this physical food, this manna, you know, um, you know, for you. And then he'll also give you physical water from a rock. You know, even as we saw in Israel, they got physical water from a rock. Now, it's also within the wilderness experience that you had your first battle. First battle that that you have to fight, and this is where we actually learn how to fight. And we learn how to fight, you know, from the battle of Amalek. You know, first of all, we learn that Amalek is a lifelong enemy. Yah tells us, don't forget Amalek. So, what do we do? We don't forget Amalek, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so Amalek uh, is the king of the Amalekites. And they're valley dwellers. You know, and what that speaks to, it speaks to them attacking us when we're down. Mm-hmm. When we're feeling depressed. When we're in a low spot in our lives. Here come the Amalekites. Mm-hmm. You know, they attack... the. The weary parts of you, they attack the parts of you that's wavering, the parts of you that's, you know, that's tired. You know, they come out of nowhere, you know, and they just begin to beat up on the, on the weak you. Now, how we're to fight is depicted within this um, story of Amalek as well. And you see the picture depicting it, it's by throwing our hands up. It's about praising Yah. It's about giving him our ride. That is giving him our support. Giving him, you know, our need for food. Giving him our need for water. Giving him, you know, all our needs. Giving him all our concerns. Lifting it up to him. Letting him take it. You know, and we just keeping our hands up, praising him through it all. You know, and you know, when we get tired, we sit on the rock. We know who the rock is, right? You know, and we still tired. Our arms getting tired. We got to get us an Aaron and a her. An Aaron representing a light bringer, someone to bring light to the situation or circumstance. A her representing a righteous man, someone to show us the righteous walk through that situation or circumstance. You know, and you get them to help praise you through. You know, and that's how we fight. You know, afterwards, Israel will go on to receive spiritual manna from heaven. And that spiritual manna from heaven came in the form of leadership. And this leadership was at uh, Moshe's father-in-law, Jethro's wise advice. Uh, let me have my first reader read Exodus 18, 19 through 26. It tells us about how this leadership came to be and what it looked like. Exodus 18, beginning of verse 19. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and Elohim shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto Elohim. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, 
and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear Elohim, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So it shall be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and Elohim command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to the place, their place in peace. So Moshe hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he hath said. And Moshe chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moshe, but every small matter they judged themselves. Hallelujah. And this actually was the rabbinic oral law being birthed. You know, it was these judgments from these from these uh, these leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, you know, that would go on to become uh, rabbinic law, you know, and that is a spiritual was a spiritual form of manna. Now hence later on we find that man is done away with. And so was that spiritual form of man done away with. You know, so what was Israel's spiritual water? And the spiritual water was the angel that was sent with him to lead and guide them, you know, along their way and bring them into the land that Yah promised them. You know, but prior to getting there, they had to go by Mount Sinai. You know, and Mount Sinai, wondrous place, wondrous time in Israel's history. You know, this is where Yah came down upon the mount and addressed his people, you know, and gave them a proposition. He propositioned them. Um, we, we read about it in Exodus 19, 1 through 7. My next reader, please. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Mizraim, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness in their Israel camp before the mount. And Moshe went up to Elohim, and Yahuwah called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moshe came down and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words of Yahuwah commanded them. Hallelujah. 
All right, did you catch that? It says, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Yaakov, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the um, Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Question, what if you don't obey his voice and keep his covenant? Would you still be a peculiar treasure unto him above all people? No. Would you still become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Exactly. Absolutely not. You won't. So I don't understand why some people think that, you know, their salvation is unconditional. You know, first the natural, then the spiritual. If it wasn't that way with the natural, it's not going to be that way with the spiritual. You know, and you have to understand, like, this is the parallel to those of us that's in Yahshua. You know, so actually... This is where Yahshua was propositioning Israel to covenant with him. And so, of course, Israel, you know, they listened to what he had said. And he gave them his Torah at this time. Mm -hmm. Now, the Christian view of Torah is a bit different than the way the original Israelites and the Yahudim you know, view Torah. The Christian view of Torah is simply the Old Testament scriptures. But that's not an accurate depiction of what Torah is. Truly, it, it did include the Ten Commandments and the written word of Elohim. You know, but that's not where it ended you know it had two parts it had the written and the oral Torah and the oral Torah was the laws that was decreed from that leadership that we read about you know that leadership that was set up in accordance to Yethro's advice to Moshe you know where whereby you had the leaders of thousands the leaders of um, hundreds, fifties, and tens. You know, and so also you would have, uh, you know, some of the uh, the priests, you know, because even then, like, the hard cases they brought to Moshe, when Moshe was gone, they brought it to the priest. And so, here it is, you had this system that was set up, and this made up the oral Torah. And so, you have to understand that when you speak of Torah to uh, one of the original Israelites of old, you know, or the Yahudim even today, their view, their view of uh, Torah is two-part. It's the written and the oral. You know, but you ask the average Christian, they just know about the written. You know, one part was immortal, and the other part was temporary and would be done away with. The written is immortal. It's immortal because it came from Yah and everything that comes from Yah is immortal. Because he's immortal. 
you know, and so, you know, that is never to be done away with. But the oral Torah, which was from the advice of man, and instituted man to rule over man, was done away with. Even as the physical manner was done away with. Now, to this proposition, all of Israel during that time said, all that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do. So they, at that point, they became Elohim's covenant nation. You know, and that's where things get interesting. Because, you know, now they're his covenanted nation, you know, not because of a covenant of their forefathers, but a covenant that they made themselves with Yah. You know, and so it goes the same for each and every one of us, you know, at some point. You know, when you come out when you come out of you uh, just learning about Yah, and you, you decide, okay, well, I'm going to get baptized, and you decide, okay, well, I'm going to start trying to live this thing out, and you start applying, you know, what you've learned to your life, you know, at some point, you should get to where you want to make it official by covenanting with Elohim. Some people think just because they came through the water that they're already covenanted with Elohim. Not so. And this proves that. You know. But you should get to the place where you want to covenant with Elohim on your own. So you can have your own relationship with him. Amen. And your covenant with Elohim would also cover your children. And your children are going to, they're going to grow. And they're going to become of the age of accountability themselves. And then they may want to have their own personal relationship with Yah. So they want to covenant with him on their own. And so even if you came up under, you know, some Yah-fearing parents, you still need to covenant with Elohim on your for yourself. You know, once you become of the age of accountability, which is 20. Now, once they became a covenanted nation of Elohim, you know, Elohim asked them, you know, so now, you know, that's that can be, you know, likened to the equivalent of you know, you covenanting with Elohim. You know, okay, so now you know, you know, you know, been baptized, you know, start applying the word to your life. You know, Yah been working with you, he's been showing himself, you know, proving himself to you, and he's been proving you, and you've been going through your wilderness experience, and you done went through some some hills and through some valleys, went over some hills and through some valleys and, and yeah, and so like now you you're feeling like, okay, well, you know, I know yeah, I know he has my back. You know, he's been looking out for me. You know, I know how to fight now. You know, I know how to praise my way through situations, through battles with the Amalekites and all this, that, and the other. You know, and now he's propositioned me, you know, to covenant with him. And I done accepted. Now I'm a covenanted Israelite, you know, part of the nation of Elohim. Well, what's next? Well, the very next thing you need to do 
is make a dwelling place for Yah. This is what he asked his people to do from that point. Make a dwelling place for him. <coughs> See, he doesn't want to, he just, he don't want to just lead you from the outside. He wants to dwell with you from the inside. You know, but in order for him to do that, you have to make a dwelling place for him. Now, Remember, Yahuwah Elohim is an L of specificity. Meaning that he has a prescribed way of doing things. You have to do it his way. You know, you can't do it your way. You can't do it somebody else's way. You have to do it his way in order for him to accept it. You know, and so we're going to look at how this tabernacle, you know, how this dwelling place is to be put together. You know, because this is the way that Yah prescribed it. You know, and we don't want to do it any other way. Amen? Amen? So the first thing that he tells us uh, is found in Exodus 25 too. He says, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. Okay, so here it is. We've done covenanted with Elohim and we've done decided that yeah, we're going to make him a dwelling place. We want Yah to, he want, we want him to dwell with us. We want to make him a dwelling place, right? And so here it is. Yah dictates that if we're going to do that, it's going to have to be made with free will offerings. In other words, can't no one force us to make Yah a dwelling place. Can't no one coerce us into making Yah a dwelling place. Can't no one deceive us into making Yah a dwelling place. It has to be voluntary of one's own accord in order for Yah to accept it. You know, so if you make him a dwelling place, and but you were deceived, he's not going to accept it. You make him a dwelling place, but you were coerced to do so, he's not going to dwell there. You make him a dwelling place because you were compelled. He's not going to dwell there. It has to be free will offerings of your own heart. You have to want to do this. You have to want him. Y'all only wants those who want him. You know, so that's important to understand. Now, the first thing that he tells us to make is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, I thought this was a beautiful depiction of it, actually. You know, um, that looks real, doesn't it? And it's quite beautiful. So the first thing we're to make is an Ark of the Covenant, which of course speaks to Yah's covenant. You cannot make Yah a dwelling place if you're not covenanted with him. You know, and so, so many people don't understand these fundamentals and, and they do just this. They, they do 
they do do just that rather. They 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 try to make him a dwelling place, and they haven't even covenanted with him. Because for whatever reason, nowadays many people don't even know what the covenant looks like. Many people think, you know, because they said a few words and asked Yahshua to come into their heart that they're covenanted with Elohim. You know, and in doing so, sometimes they put the cart before the horse. Because you got to go through the water first. You know, and, you know, my thing is, like, if you do it the way y'all said do it, you know you can't get in trouble. If you do it the way you want to do it, you know, then, you know, you're going to, you're going to, have to wait till judgment come, and you may not get the, uh, the judgment that you hope for. So let's let's do it the way that he did it. Let's do it the way he prescribed. Let's do it in accordance to the pattern. Because y'all is really big on patterns and parallels, is he not? Oh, yeah. You know. So let's do it in accordance to the pattern. You know, and so, you know. After you enter into covenant with him, the first thing he tells you to do is make him a tabernacle. But you would think that you would start with making the actual tabernacle. No. He says start with making the Ark of the Covenant. Why is that? Probably because you just covenanted with him. So he wants you to have a place to put the covenant. You know, yes, because the covenant is a thing. It's, you know, you have to have a place to put it because it is actually something. It's something that you need to hold on to, you know, that makes the covenant valid. And that is the conditions and terms of the covenant. You know, and this is how, you know, even today in a court of law, like, you know, if, if you go to be judged on a contract that you've made, you know, contract slash covenant that you made, you know, they're going to, the judge, before he judges the case, he's going to ask for the terms and conditions of the contract. Just makes sense, right? You know, so he don't want you, he don't want you to lose track of his terms and conditions. So he tells you to make a place to put them. And that's his ark of his covenant. Hence, it houses Yah's word concerning his covenant. That is, the conditions and terms of his covenant, his contract. It's the way we're to live whilst in covenant with Yah. This is what it teaches us. This is what we're, we've agreed to do. Understand that. When you covenant with Elohim, you're agreeing to live in accordance to his conditions and terms. I don't think that's understood today. You know, now atop the ark, is the mercy seat, which is Yah's throne. Therefore, he rightly speaks from the mercy seat as a king from his throne. Um, number seven, uh, chapter seven, verse 89 speaks to this. It says, and when Moshe was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony. From between the two cherubim, and he spake unto him. So we see he spoke from the mercy seat. 
Why? Because this was the throne. He was the king. Amen? Now, by speaking from the mercy seat atop his Torah, his law, Yah teaches us that his mercy, which endure forever, is directly connected to his everlasting covenant. And that the words of his covenant, i.e. Torah or the law, is the foundation of his reign over his people Israel. So you do away with one, you do away with the other. If you do away with the words of the covenant, you do away with the covenant. You do away with the covenant, you do away with the mercy seat. You do away with the mercy seat, you do away with the one who sits upon the mercy seat. Can you see that? To put it another way, anyone who doesn't adhere to Torah and or Yahushua's commandments, words, and sayings, i.e. the terms and conditions of the covenant they've entered into with Elohim, aren't being ruled by Yahuwah Elohim. Mm -hmm. And having a covenant with Yahuwah Elohim. And they're not true Israelites. And they're not entitled to his mercy. Mm -hmm. See, because all of that is entailed. In the Ark of the Covenant. And it all goes together. You can't, you can't have one without the other. Because then it becomes incomplete. And if it's incomplete, it's not Yah. Because Yah is complete or perfect. Hence we're told to be perfect, i.e. complete. Even as our Father in Heaven is perfect, i.e. complete. Amen? Next thing we're told to make is a table. A table of showbread. So, first we're commanded to make a covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, some place to put the words and terms and conditions of the covenant that we just entered into with Yah. And then, we're instructed to make a table of showbread. This table of showbread, you know, actually speaks to us preparing a table for the bread of Elohim. In relation to the human body, the table of showbread speaks to our hearts, which are also a table. You know, consider Proverbs 3.3. 3. It says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Can you see your heart as a table? At least scripturally speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Proverbs 7, 3. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Again, the heart is a table. Yahu 17, 1. The sin of Yahudah is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altar. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Mashiach, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Ruach of the living Elohim, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Again, the heart is a table. Therefore, we can deduce that Yah wants, wants Israelites to prepare the table of their hearts 
to receive the showbread of Elohim. Now, showbread literally means face bread. Mm. Face bread, you know, speaks to the presence. You know, the face of something speaks to the presence of something. So the face bread of Elohim speaks to the presence of Elohim. Yahushua is the face of the bread, no doubt about that. The bread of life. Amen? You know, and so essentially, even way back then, he wanted them to make a table. That is, he wanted them to prepare the tables in their hearts to receive Yahushua, the bread of life. But so many of them didn't prepare that table. Hence, they didn't receive them. Hence, they didn't become the tabernacle of Elohim. Hence, Yah did not dwell within them. Amen? Let that not happen to us, though. You know, so we make an ark to put his covenant in. You know, so that he might rule from upon the mercy seat that goes atop of it. And, you know, he rules through those terms and conditions of that covenant. And he gives us mercy. Which endure his mercy, which endure forever, you know, uh, we receive because of his covenant, and so he speaks to us from from there. Can't you see that that's a picture of him speaking to us from his word, from his Torah, from his teachings and instructions? That's within the ark. Next thing he has us to make is the menorah. I love the menorah. Yeah, this is definitely um, one of my favorite pieces of the furniture. Um, but yeah, he instructs us to make a menorah. So next, we make this menorah for light, that is for wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. In relation to the human body, the menorah speaks to our lungs, which are also responsible for our wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. To see this concept, one just needs to consider how oxygen is responsible for our brain power and memory. Without oxygen, you know, your brain will not work. Your brain uses the most oxygen of any part of your body, five times as much, in fact. Your brain uses five times uh, more oxygen than any other part of your body. You know, and without it, you know, your brain won't be able to function. Memory will be gone, shot. You know, oxygen directly affects your ability to learn. You know, if you ever see someone, you know, with a learning disability, you'll notice they sit with their mouths open. The reason that they sit with their mouths open is because they're trying to take in extra oxygen because they have an oxygen deficiency. And that oxygen deficiency is the direct cause of that learning deficiency. You know, oxygen directly affects your ability to learn, to think, to feel, and even to act. It also calms the mind, stabilizes the nervous system, and heightens concentration and alertness. In the scripture, many of these things are represented via the menorah. You know, 
Consider Revelation 1.12, it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Hello, Menorah. Consider Revelation 4.5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven rukot of Elohim. Hello, Menorah. Hello, seven spirits to the seven churches. Also consider that without oxygen, the menorah doesn't work. You can't have fire without oxygen. These are the very same Rukot, the very same spirits that was prophesied to come with Yahushua. This is why he's found with them as eyes in the Lamb that appeared as if it was slain in Revelation. You know, they're the... Um, Depicted in Yeshayahu 11, 1, uh, 11, 2, but we're going to read 1 and 2. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Yeshi, a branch shall grow out of his roots. And of course, this was a prophecy concerning Yahushua, our Messiah. Verse 2 goes on to say, And the Ruach of Yahuwah shall rest upon him, the Ruach of wisdom and understanding, the Ruach of counsel and might, the Ruach of knowledge and of the fear of Yahuwah. You know, and so. See, these very same things that the light speaks to is also spoken of, of, of these seven spirits, which, you know, speak to the seven flames. That's upon the seven candlesticks, you know, which emit the light, i.e. the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, you know. And so we see these spirits, you know, these very same things, you know, these spirits are um, depicted within them, you know, and so it's a beautiful picture, you know, and if you look at your lungs, you know, and you turn them um, upside, upside down, they would actually look like a menorah, you know, so... You know, as far as the body goes, the menorah speaks to the lungs. You know, and so it also speaks to the churches. And so Yah is trying to get us to understand that once we're covenanted with Elohim and we done made a place you know, for his terms and conditions, the terms and conditions of his covenant, you know, and we've prepared our hearts to receive the words of his covenant and allow them to rule over us from off that mercy seat. That we're to next erect or, or make a menorah. A menorah speaks to the wisdom understanding and knowledge of the word of Elohim that we're given that's in the Ark of the Covenant you know but it also speaks to the seven churches you know and so this is Yah's way of telling us like you know after you've made a, made a um, covenant with Elohim and you've made an Ark to put the covenant in and you've prepared your heart to receive his word He's telling you, go find an assembly. Go find an assembly. Because the menorah, the seven 
the seven um, candlesticks of the menorah speaks to the seven assemblies of Elohim. He's telling you, go find an assembly. Find an assembly that has my Ruach shedding light. And so that's what we're to do. And then after the menorah, you're not going to believe what comes next. Then you make the tower. So, y'all wants you to make the Ark of the Covenant first. So, you enter into covenant with him. Then you make a place to put his covenant that he may rule from. That will be his throne. Then you prepare your heart to receive his word. Then you make a um, join an assembly so that you can get wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the word that he's going to place on your table, on the tables of your heart. And now he wants you to make a place to house all this. That is the tabernacle. So we're next commanded to make a tabernacle, the which will house the holy things we've made thus far, i.e. The, the ark, the table, show bread, and the menorah. In relation to the human body, the tabernacle speaks to the diaphragm and the rib cage. And spiritually, it speaks to us being united together in fellowship, one to another via the fear of Elohim. You know, and that's 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 what the uh, tabernacle, the fence around the tabernacle represents. It represents the fear of Elohim. All of this, all of the furniture and everything that's within the tabernacle, the grounds of the tabernacle is within the fear of Elohim. Now consider how both the curtains and the diaphragm move in accordance with the Ruach. The Ruach meaning the breath or the wind. You know, when the wind hit the curtains, they move. When the breath hit the diaphragm, it moves. And the whole of the tabernacle was set apart by its fence and the curtains that covered the fence. Even as our diaphragm and rib cage is set apart, it sets apart our heart and lungs and other organs. You know, so, you know, our rib cage sets apart those vital organs. And then our diaphragm, you know, actually is very much like those curtains that cover the ribs or cover the fence of the tabernacle. Yah teaches us with, with his order of events that we're not to get the proverbial cart before the horse and that we're not to fear Elohim without being covenanted with him. In other words, don't fear Elohim to the point that you don't want to covenant with him. Or don't fear him to the point to whereby you don't want to receive him into your heart. Or to the point you don't want to understand him. You know, some people do these things. Mm -hmm. Some people say, well, you know, now I read that, you know, he sent his people into towns and told them to kill men, women, children, 
you know, even the animals. I don't want nothing to do with a guy like that. I'm scared of that. See, they're putting the cart before the horse. You know, they're fearing Elohim before they even made the Ark of the Covenant. They're fearing him even before they made his, his table. They're fearing him even before they even put up his, his uh, menorah, before they got understanding, light on the situation. He doesn't want us to do that. See, that's why he wants us, you know, to covenant with him first. Get us the terms and conditions of his, of his covenant so that we know what's expected of us. You know, have a place to put him. You know, then he wants us to take some of the parts of that, those words of that covenant that we don't understand, you know, and we want us to pre prepare our hearts to receive them. And there's a reason we put him on atop that table. You know, because next he has us make, make a menorah, and when that menorah is lit, it will bring light to what's on the table, i.e. that which you don't understand. And that's why you go to his assemblies. You know, uh, the actual tabernacle or tent which houses the holy place and the holy of holies speaks to the strong praise of the righteous. It's literally a picture of the righteous one praising with all his or her might. You know, and that atmosphere of praise of the righteous one is, it makes the holy place. You know, it makes the holy place of Elohim and it leads to his holy of, of holies. You know, and it's such a beautiful picture. You know, if you're trying to get into the holy place, you need to become righteous and you need to praise him with all your heart. You got to go in because that's where his holy place is. Even where his kingdom is. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's all I have for you today. Pray it was a blessing. Yeah.